This morning, coming from chapter 12 of the first eight verses, letter to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for the people of God. So several years ago, there was a group of people from Kansas who had said they would go to Romania on a mission trip. They did all their preparation. They flew over. They had been working for a while. The work centered on helping rescue orphans from the streets. But then one day, their host told them they were going to take them way out into a rural area where they could see one of the orphanages and how the orphans were being taken care of. The drawback was it was a four-hour bus ride. So they loaded early in the morning and started out. Two hours, three hours, four hours passed. Everybody was anticipating being there. But four hours turned into five and on into six. And it was a hot day. And don't know if you've ever been on one of those bus trips where it feels like the air conditioner is kind of giving out. And the temperature in the bus begins to rise. And all these people who had given themselves over to God to serve others and had started the day singing with excitement sort of lost all their enthusiasm. And you could feel the tension rising in the bus. And then one person saying, who's responsible for this? Have we taken a wrong turn? What's going on here? We've come over here to serve God and these people, and we're spending all day on a bus. And you could sense that the whole trip was degenerating into a negative cycle of complaints. And then they rounded one particular corner, and instead of the dry fields they had been observing for hours, as far as the eye could see, there were rolling hills covered with beautiful, magnificent wildflowers. And you could hear on the bus, one after another, noticing and sort of gasping until the bus was totally quiet and everyone was sitting in awe, looking at the beautiful fields by which they were driving. Until one person said, could we stop and get out and take pictures? And the bus pulled over and all the people piled out into the fields and began to take pictures and Some of them began to run into the wildflowers and sing, and others began to pick wildflowers and 
weave them into garlands for surely they were going to see orphans at some point and they wanted to give them a present of this beauty. Being angry and irritated and short-tempered when things weren't going right, I suggest to you is being conformed to the world. Stopping to smell the roses stopping to take in the beauty of God's great creation, trusting that God can bring good out of any situation, is being transformed. Transformed by God and God's creation. Paul speaks of transformation in this passage we've read today. In verse 2 he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We have a tagline we use around here from time to time that says that we challenge each other as Christians to think deeply, grow spiritually, and love generously so we can be a blessing to others. But as we read about the renewal of our minds, it reminds us of how important it is to think deeply, to reflect on our lives and to reflect on God and to wonder and look, where is God working in my life? If we remember, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, was not only an Anglican priest, but an Oxford professor. He taught philosophy and logic over the years. He was a deep thinker. He preached and wrote and thought a lot. He kept a journal of all the things he did. He kept up an amazing schedule. But because Wesley started us out as deep thinkers, he asked lots of questions to people, causing them to think about their faith. We are not afraid of hard questions. We're not afraid of university studies. We believe that God is working through the best minds in the world, and we can learn from any and all of them. But we believe as Christians, our thinking is done best in the context of listening for God. Thinking, reading, studying, learning, but all the while listening for God to speak to us as well. Paul appeals to us, if you will, in the very first verse we read. He's writing to these early Christians in Rome, but it applies to us as well. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship transformation happens when you offer yourself to God. When you're willing to make your life available for God's use in the world. Eugene Peterson spent a decade of his life translating the whole of the Bible, using his own contemporary understanding of what the text says. The translation's called The Message. I want to read you just a few lines of how he translated these first two verses from Romans 12. I think it's a wonderful way to help us understand it. He writes it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, 
and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. God is in the change business. Paul is saying we do our best thinking in the context of offering our lives to God. I love the way he put that last sentence. I put it in your outline. Fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Are you ready to be changed? Paul's proclaiming that God is all about change. Now, I know we struggle with that. When things change in our lives, it's not always a happy thing. We don't always like it. Even when the preacher changes the start time for an early worship service, some people get upset and don't like it. When he changes the Sunday school hour, some people think it's a travesty. There's a problem. I would just remind us all that God is all about transformation and change. And when we put our lives in the hands of God, the promise is your life's going to change. And if we're busy following God, we can expect that things in our life and the life of our church are going to change as well. A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I told you the story of the guy telling about his own spiritual life as if he were riding a bicycle. Remember, he said it was like riding a tandem. And at first, he was in the front seat. He was steering. He said as he grew closer to Christ and matured in his faith, he realized he should be on the back seat and Christ should be on the front seat steering things. And then you remember what he said? When I traded seats, things changed. Christ took me in places I would never have gone before. Or if you were here last week and heard our newest associate pastor, Jen, talking about her call to ministry, and how she heard the voice of God. Don't you think things changed then? She received the call of God, and her life had to go in another direction. She had to make some adjustments in her business and family life to respond to God's call for her to come into ordained ministry and be willing to serve wherever she was appointed. God is in the business of change or transformation, as Paul calls it. But not just change for change's sake. You will be changed to what Paul calls discerners. Did you hear that part in verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God. God's transforming us if we'll allow God to use our minds, Paul says, into people who can discern what God is doing in the world. So we can begin to understand what God is doing and we can go along with God. So we can be a part of the transformation and change. God is trying to make the world a better place. He's trying to make your life a better life. 
but it requires change. And Paul says transformation. But the transformation is for us to be able to understand more deeply what God is doing. If we will offer ourselves to God, then we will be utilized to do God's will on earth. That's the promise Paul proclaims in the passage today. That happened to me when I was a young man. I was a freshman at college. I'd been raised in the Methodist church. I'd been raised to know that I was going to college. That wasn't really an option in the family. So there I was, my future open before me. I was supposed to choose a major. I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. Up until then, teachers just told you, schools just told you, here's the classes you're going to take. Oh, you might have a few options, but basically the curriculum was set. And all of a sudden, I'm at the university and I can study anything. I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. I thought back to things I'd done in high school and enjoyed. I was in the speech department. I did speech and debate. I enjoyed it. I, I was pretty good at it. I won some trophies and medals. I thought, well, maybe that's it. I'd really enjoyed cross-examination in a debate setting. I thought, maybe I'll be a lawyer, kind of go into the courtroom and use those same skills to argue a case. But I'd also been raised in the church. And I'd been taught, you don't only ask, what do I want? But you ask, what does God want? I also ask, what gifts has God given me? And how does God want me to use those gifts in my life? And so through that freshman year, I prayed about that. I thought about it. I made lists of pros and cons. I talked to other people about it. And by the end of the year, I had decided... Or maybe I should say I had discerned that God was calling me into ministry. So I offered my life to God in a whole new way. But it's not simply a solo proposition. Others helped me. Young adults my age, I talked with them. I went back and talked with Sunday school teachers and youth directors and camp counselors, my parents, my grandparents, some of the preachers I had had at my home church over the years, all of them, I was asking them for advice. So they were all a part of that discernment process of me coming to the place where I believed God was leading me or calling me into ministry. Paul says in verse 5, that's the way it is in the body of Christ. He says, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we are members one of another. We are part of something larger than ourselves, Paul is saying. And he's also saying when we give ourselves to Christ, whether or not it's in a pastoral role or just as someone who says, I want to be a follower of His, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, that God not only gives us that call and extends grace to us in that, but that God also gives us a family to be a part of, gives us the body of Christ. We become members, Paul says, one of another. We are connected Paul is saying in this proposition of being Christians. I think about how Methodists help people discern their call into ministry. 
In the Methodist church, you can't just say, oh, you know what? I think God's calling me to ministry. I'm ready to start preaching at a Methodist church. Oh, no, not in Methodism. First place you have to go is talk to your pastor. Tell him or her how you're doing and what you're thinking. The pastor's going to talk with you, but then say to you, you have to meet with this group in the church. They have to help you discern if you have gifts for ministry, if they can see that maybe God is calling you into this life of ordained ministry. If they approve you, you go on to the next group. There's a group from the area you have to meet with, from your district, we call it in Methodism, and you meet with this district board of ministry, probably people you don't even know, and they too are looking and listening about who you are and what you've done, and if they can see that maybe God has gifted you for ministry, if they say okay, then there's a statewide board, the Board of Ordained Ministry, and you have to work with them over the series of years and get more training and work with a mentor before ever you are approved to be a fully ordained pastor. It sounds kind of laborious, and sometimes it is. But at its best, it's an experience of discernment and affirmation and encouragement. It's one of guiding and directing, of being supported in prayer and other people working with you to develop your mind, to renew your mind, to develop your spiritual gifts, to do further and deeper discernment so that they help you find the right place for you to serve in ministry where you can serve God best. It's not a solo proposition. It's part of being members one of another, as Paul says, within the body of Christ. Have you heard about this show down at the PAC? It's called Hamilton. Anybody heard of that? (laughs) They've been in town for a while. It's a fabulous show. I had opportunity a few nights ago to go with my mother and my wife. It was just beautiful it was magnificent if you haven't seen it guess i'll give them free advertisement they finished up today but there's one this afternoon and this evening it's a fabulous telling of the story of alexander hamilton one of the lesser known founding fathers early in the play hamilton comes onto the stage he meets these other young men and they are ready for revolt against england they're ready to throw off tyranny and to revolt, to have a revolution for freedom and independence. And they talk about rising up, that maybe it's time to rise up, rise up. And that becomes a refrain throughout the play. You hear them every few songs come back to this idea of rise up, rise up. But they realize as young men that they need others to make this uprising successful. So you learn about Washington and Jefferson and Madison and sort of the interplay of these founding fathers and how they didn't always agree with each other, even though they all had the same goal of independence, of freedom, of developing a new nation where people could be free. But they weren't just talking about what it would mean for them as an individual. They were talking about what it would mean for them as a people or a nation. I want to read you a few of the lyrics they sing rise up when you're living on your knees you rise up tell your brother that he's got to rise up tell your sister she's got to rise up and then they sing but we'll never be truly free 
until those in bondage have the same rights as you and me, you and I, do or die. We, who are many, are one body in Christ. Paul reminds us that we're all connected. We are members one of another. We are not on the Christian journey alone. In fact, if we think we are, we've missed the point of what it means to be the people of God and what God is doing through Christ in the world. If you think about the liturgy we use when we come to communion, it has a lot about what we're doing and calls us to the table of Christ but it's really not talking about us as individuals, but it's talking about us as the people of God. It's a corporate or a group prayer over and over in that litany where we're called to the table as God's people. You remember in the final prayer, we pray that we might be one with Christ, one with one another, and one in ministry to all the world. We do not come to the communion table alone, we come as a part of the body of Christ, as the people of God. It is not that we negate our individuality, but that we perceive it within a new context. Paul says it's in that context that we receive the grace of God. In verse 6, right after talking about being members one of another, he says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us the grace that's offered to us as a group but also as individuals the good news is that god is not only giving us grace but that god gives us a family in which to enjoy it in which to share it in which to express it that when we give ourselves to christ god gives us a family now, sometimes that's the harder part in remembering that we have a commitment and an obligation to care for one another. It's not just me and God. It's me and God and the people of God. I am a part of the body of Christ. Paul says, present yourselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Present yourselves to God. And Paul says, God's response is to give us grace, but we have to receive it. We must apply it in our lives by how we live. If we're going to see the full effect of God's life alive in our life, we have to not only receive the grace of God, but begin to apply it by how we live. Back to those lyrics from Hamilton, he reminds us to Rise up, and they're all singing about rising up, rising up for freedom, rising up for justice, rising up for independence, rising up for one another, rising up for future generations. Rise up, they sing over and over again. I can kind of hear the refrain when I read the text from today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, rise up by the mercies of God. Rise up. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Rise up. Do not be conformed to this world, but rise up. Be transformed, Paul says, by the power and the spirit and the grace of God. Rise up, body of Christ. 
Rise up, people of God. Rise up and go into the world in the name of Christ.